The Jackals are coming. Scott Sanju joins us to talk about Dallas-Fort Worth's newest pro team, the Dallas Jackals of Major League Rugby. Scott tells us why rugby is the ultimate team sport and previews the fan experience at Jackals matches at Choctaw Stadium. But first, PGA Tour pro Mark Kalkovecchia joins us to preview the Club Corp Classic, a new style of PGA Tour Champions event coming to Las Colinas that includes 50 celebrity players. He also talks about Dallas as a red-hot golf market and why he loves playing here. Then, Saad Youssef of The Athletic joins us to talk about the surging Dallas Stars, what he sees for the rest of the season, and what he's downloading and streaming lately. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Monica Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with next level Marcus Carr. Not the one that plays for Monica's UT Longhorns, but the Tony Fay PR <laughs> professional. Thanks for listening and subscribing. If you like the show, give us a rating, please. It would help. Monica, it's episode 47, which is another one of those numbers that is not a historically great number for Dallas-Fort Worth sports. I thought about Dexter Klinkscale, who had five pretty good years as a Cowboys DB in the early 80s. But we're going to go with Alexander Radulov of, of the Stars. The Stars have uh, won four in a row, all on the road, sweeping a four-game trip. They're back in the playoff picture. Uh, but Radulov has struggled a little bit this year. He had COVID. He hasn't played that well. O only one goal and uh, all season long, I think 13 or 14 assists. Uh, so I'm hoping that that being highlighted as number 47 for episode 47 will get his season going. Russian right winger was a first round pick at Nashville way back in 20, 2004, but he spent the last five seasons of his nine year NHL career. He also played in the KHL uh, last five years with the stars and he is a fan favorite. So here's hoping that uh, being highlighted on the mic drop uh, for episode 47 gets number 47, Alexander Radulov. Uh, going so the stars can keep uh, forging on and and stay in the playoffs where they where they are if the season would end today and good luck to Joe Pavelski in the uh, upcoming NHL All-Star game. Monica Mike drop moment this week the announcement by SMU of the Gary Weber end zone complex at Ford Stadium launched with a 50 million dollar gift they got to raise some more money but if you know uh, AD Rick Hart friend of the pod and of course Dr. Gerald Turner, the, the president of SMU, they know how to raise money. And this is a worthy cause and a, and a good idea. The idea here with the Gary Weber end zone complex is to anchor the South Bowl uh, Ford Stadium, connecting the East and West Gate entries, three levels, uh, which they say will increase the functionality, efficiency, and the overall experience. Of course, you've got new locker rooms, a weight room, all the position-specific meeting rooms, an auditorium, kitchen, training table, uh, there's an arms race going on in college sports. And this is the sort of thing that needs to be done. Uh, I love the quote from Rick Hart, friend of the podcast, who told the morning news facilities are the visible, visible, tangible sign of commitment. And when we say we want to compete at the highest level, we don't know what that means. Nobody does. Uh, so you got to do this sort of thing. There's a lot of change going on in division one athletics, but in order to do that, you've got to continue to invest said Rick Hart. Monica, so this just kind of adds once uh, Ford Stadium gets souped up even more. It's 20 years old now, hard to believe. 
this adds to the great treasure trove of, of updated and upgraded and world-class facilities in our region. That's got to be good news for the Dallas Sports Commission, right? Oh, without a doubt, Sully. Uh, we're very blessed uh, with what SMU already has. I mean, they've invested a lot. New tennis facility, which we're you know, has already been open, but we're about to debut even more here with the ATP Dallas Open coming up here in a few weeks. Uh, there's their swimming facility, swimming and diving, and the, the events that we're able to partner with there. The new soccer facility that is big for us from a World Cup FIFA standpoint, from a training facility, possible base camp. Uh, obviously, Moody Coliseum, and, uh, you know, we've partnered with them before in hosting various basketball events uh, there. So excited to hear this uh, in SMU, and always great to have them uh, as a partner. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed to have fantastic facilities here in, in the North Texas area, and this will continue to raise the bar. We've talked a lot in our first 46 episodes uh, about the, uh, the, the bid that you've submitted for uh, FIFA World Cup for 2026. Any update on the timetable for a decision there? Well, I, I did receive a phone call earlier this week, and I think we're going to be getting some communication later uh, today, possibly, uh, in terms of what the what the time frame looks like. We think we'll still hear a, an update in Q2, uh, hoping in more the April time period rather than the June, but we'll see. We have a international broadcast center bid for Fair Park that's due here uh, uh, on Monday. So uh, working feverishly to try to get all that information put together and what that, at least the first steps of what that bid may look like. Uh, so we can turn that over to, to FIFA, but uh, hearing that it's gonna be uh, coming here real quickly and uh, uh, they'll be making decisions quickly and uh, obviously get into the negotiation. So I'm very glad that uh, this process is moving along and uh, fingers crossed that we'll hear, hear some good news here in the next few months. All right, well, back in a moment with PGA Tour Pro and all-around good guy, Mark Kalkovecchia. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rach. And now we're excited to welcome Mark Kalkovecchia to the, to the mic drop. Kalk played on four Ryder Cup teams, won 13 times on the PGA Tour. That is not easy to do, including the 1989 Open Championship at Royal Troon. That was the first time in the history of the British Open, there was a four-hole playoff. Kalkovecchia prevailed over Greg Norman and Wayne Grady. You know, and he had started that day three shots back. Uh, I remember that. Another great Kalkovecchia near comeback took place uh, right here in our area at the 1987 Byron Nelson. He almost didn't make the cut that year and made up six shots in the final round, falling to Fred Couples on the third hole of a sudden-death playoff. Mark has also won four times on the PGA Tour Champions widely regarded as the best golfer ever to come out of Nebraska. That's not bad. It's better than not being the best golfer ever to come out of Nebraska. And he joins us on the mic drop here to talk about the upcoming Club Corp Classic, a PGA Tour Champions event with a celebrity competition embedded right in it uh, that takes place April 19th through the 24th at Las Colinas Country Club. Mark, welcome to the mic drop. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
So, Mark, before we get over to the Clipboard Classic, uh, you've been through a lot uh, over this past year or so. Tough battle with COVID, back surgery. And as a dog lover myself, which uh, we've got a like sighting here on the pod uh, of Stella, my dog, uh, I was sad to learn you also lost your dog Brutus unexpectedly last fall. Um, I lost one of mine uh, last last year d- during COVID as well. How are you? How have you come through all of this? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's been the last uh, the last year and four months has, have been pretty tough. Starting with uh, COVID in September of 2020, uh, and then we lost our Brutus in St. Louis last year. The first tournament back out after uh, I came out with back surgery. He was almost 17 though, uh, so I mean he had a great life, but it's you know it's still tough as you know. And now tomorrow, our English bulldog, who's only 16 months old, has to have its tail amputated. Uh, it's got one of those little corkscrew tails and it, it, you know, it gets infected and I don't know why they did that to her, but, uh, so that's tough, but yeah, we, we love our dogs, but, uh, all in all, she's going to be, it, uh, she, it's going to turn out great. I know it will, and she's going to be awesome. So, uh, looking forward to getting to Dallas in, uh, three or four months. Well, we can't wait for it to be here and you to get to Dallas. Uh, the PGA tour champion season just got underway. Uh, what kind of shape is your game in? We just got back from Hawaii uh, two days ago, long trip, but, uh, uh, you know, once you get out there, it's just fantastic. It's an amazing place. Uh, I was very happy to the green. Um, the greens are new there and I wasn't the only one that was kind of confused by them. Uh, so I was very happy with the way I hit the ball and how I felt. I just didn't make any putts. And as you know, in professional golf, if you don't make any putts, you're, uh, you're in trouble. So, uh, uh, but the good news is, is I, I felt pretty good and, and I hit it well. And uh, I felt like I hit most of my putts the way I wanted to. So uh, it, it's, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good year for me, uh, God willing. Well, I, I love to hear that. I need to get back out and uh, uh, swing the club a little myself. And uh, I, my putting has never been uh, very stellar. But um, there's some new players turning 50 and coming on tour every year. David Duvall, Dallas's own Justin Leonard kind of come to mind. Jim Furyk played well in Hawaii last week. How do yeah. you assess the state of senior golf these days? Uh, I think it's in great shape. Uh, you know, Phil played six tournaments last year and won four of them. So uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, you know, I remember when I was 50, 51, I couldn't wait to get out there and uh, really you know, had a lot of good tournaments in my early fifties and it, it is, there's something to it. Uh, uh, age is no joke. And as you, I'm 61 now and a half and uh, it, it gets harder and harder and harder. So, uh, you know, I wish I was 50 again, but uh, it's great to have these guys come out and play on our tour. Uh, I, you know, I think our tour is as strong as it's ever been. The, the level of play is fantastic. And with these guys, these younger guys, 50 year olds, young guys coming out, uh, it, it, it only adds to the uh, interest of the tour and the, and the betterment of the tour for us. Mark, of course, Dallas is a, a golf hotbed and we've got yep. PGA Frisco coming up with the PGA of America, making Dallas Fort Worth its home, uh, as of a couple of months from now, but what do you, what about your, your history in Dallas as a golf town and, and what are you looking most forward to with this new club corp classic? Oh, I always love to come to Dallas to play, uh, uh, and, and then usually Fort Worth was almost always the week after. So, 
Uh, and I love the four seasons there at Las Colinas. Matter of fact, like, I almost always stayed there for two weeks and just commuted back and forth to uh, Colonial. Uh, that's how much I like the area and the four seasons there at uh, Las Colinas. So uh, I, I still remember that playoff with Fred Couples in 1987, like it was yesterday. Uh, I can't believe I lost that one, but you know, that's how it goes sometimes, but uh, really looking forward to getting back. Uh, and I played the Las Colinas country club. It's been a long time, uh, but I have played it. And I think it's going to be a, a fantastic event with the celebrities and the the Pro-Am format, uh, it, it's, it's going to be a, an awesome event. Now, some big celebrities have, have committed. You've got Anthony Anderson from Blackish, Brian, Brian Baumgartner from The Office, uh, and then, of course, some, some sports celebrities, Mike Madano, Emmett Smith, Pudge Rodriguez, Roger Clemens, John Smoltz, a guy who's a really good player. But who's talk a little bit about playing with these celebrities. Who can really play? What are some funny experiences that you've had in, in whether it's Pebble Beach or an event like this uh, where you're playing with, with celebrities. Right. No, it's, it's a lot of fun to meet these guys and play with them. And, and, and that list you just mentioned, I played with Roger. I played with Anthony Anderson. I played with uh, John Schmoltz quite a, quite a bit, actually. Uh, when the Braves, when he was with the Braves in the middle eighties, uh, they used to spring train in West Palm beach and uh, uh, John and, and uh, Tom Glavin uh steve avery uh they used to play a lot of golf at bear lakes which is where i was a member at so i played a lot of golf with those guys and it, it's it's great to see them all again and um it's going to be it's going to be fun i think the crowds are going to be great uh, i played with emmett smith and the hope before so uh it, it'll be great to see all those guys again and uh and and hopefully uh, play with some of them again now you know they're they're competitive people obviously yeah. you know do they do they, I know they want to win. They want to look good. You know, you, you've got the event is on national TV. Uh, in this case, golf channel, I believe has the, has the club corp classic. Do they right. ask you for, do they ask you for, for, for swing <laughs> tips? I mean, uh, you know, so that the, you know, what, what is that like? Uh, rarely. I, I mean, you know, how good John Schmaltz is and uh, uh, a lot of those guys are really good players. So uh, they, they, they get it, you know, they get where, you know, our job is out there to, you know, entertain them and, and entertain the amateurs, you know, I was saying pro-ams and things. And uh, I know some amateurs are playing this event as well, but uh, you know, they respect that we're trying to uh, do the best we can and compete and, and try to win the tournament. So uh, nobody's, nobody's like annoying or gets in your, on your nerves or anything. And it, it, the whole idea is to have fun. And when we do that, when we play, uh, it, it generally is a good, uh, good end result. So, uh, I think this is going to be a super fun event. So, Mark, we work with numerous uh, nonprofits here in the DFW area. Some of them really focused on how how do we get underserved or even, uh, you know, younger kids playing the game of golf. And uh, how do we do that? Give, what's your, your story of how you got into uh, playing golf? Well, that's a good question. I, I actually grew up in a, a very small town in northeast Nebraska my first 13 years. And uh, my dad and his two buddies bought a 43-acre cornfield just outside of town and made it into a little nine-hole golf course. Uh, back then, driving 15 miles to the, to the next town to play golf, Wayne, was just unacceptable. So uh, luckily for me, uh, in the early 60s, uh, we had this little nine-hole course, and it had, you know, they planted trees, but they were just sticks. 
no water, no bonkers, just a field literally with tees and greens. And uh, that's where I learned how to how to play and how to hit it. And, you know, I just tagged it along with my dad, my older brother, and, you know, just loved it uh, at a super early age. Uh, I, I, you know, I played my swim trunks with no shirt and no shoes. And then when I got tired of golfing, I'd, I'd ride my bike down to the pool, swim for a while, and then go back and play more golf. Uh, and my dad had a card. He had multiple sclerosis. So luckily for me, as a, as a little kid, I could take his card and I could play 36 holes in two hours. I mean, it was, it was crazy how fast I could go around that course. Uh, and that's, that's where I actually fell in love with the game. And you did a lot of bowling, too, from what I understand as a kid. You were pretty good. Did you think about the Pro Bowlers Tour? I, I did. Uh, well, I did a lot of bowling. I didn't really think about the pro bowlers tour because, uh, you know, golf was kind of my thing, but, uh, in, in Laurel, Nebraska, in the summer, you golfed and you swam and you rode your bike and in the winter you played basketball in the gym and bowled and played in the snow. So, uh, my dad actually, uh, opened up the bowling alley. We had an eight lane bowling alley in Laurel and, uh, I'd go with him, of course, uh, an hour early, you know, when he was opening and shoot, I'd bowl six or seven games before the place even opened. And, uh, so I, I bowled a lot and got pretty good. And, uh, to this day, I have tons of friends on the PBA tour, uh, who all love golf, obviously. And a lot of them stayed at my house last year when they were in Jupiter, uh, bowling the PBA event. So, uh, I do have a love affair with bowling as well. And, uh, Randy Peterson, the hall of fame announcer and, and uh, former bowler, sent me six brand new balls and I haven't gotten any of them drilled yet. So I got to get on my, I, I, I got to get that done. And uh, I don't know what any of them do, but it'll be fun to throw them. But yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. Bowling is on quite an upswing. We got to do a bowling show one of these days, Monica, but there, there is a, uh, I mentioned the PGA of America making Dallas Fort Worth its home soon. And there is a, a club professional named Rob LeBritz from new Bedford, uh, New York, Westchester, you know, North of New York city. <laughs> Yeah, and Rob is a great story in that he, you know, he earned his PGA Tour Champions card. Of course, never played on, on the regular PGA Tour. And his reaction, there's a YouTube video people can check out. Rob LeBritz, just incredible, the emotion and how he felt about making uh, PGA Tour Champions. What do you remember about, you probably went through Q School back in the day, I would think, uh, Mark. But what do you remember about when you got that, when you earned that PGA Tour card and how that felt and, and what that represented? Oh, I remember it very well. Uh, I was at the tour school for five straight years from uh, 81 to 85. And, uh, you know, I was kind of on again, off again tour. The, the years I finished between 125 and 150, I missed the, the tour school. And then the year I finished outside of that, I made it through the tour school. So it was always quite a relief. And, you know, you got to, it's not just the finals, you got to go through three stages, first, second, and then the final. So, it's it's a it's a rough grind. I, I still wish we had that format. Uh, it, it's harder than ever for kids today to to get on the PGA Tour. I mean, you got to go through the uh, Corn Ferry Tour now right. to do it. And I've got so many friends that are great players that should be on the PGA Tour, but you know, golf's hard. It doesn't always go your way, and sometimes, uh, you know, it's just hard to get over the hump. So. But yeah, I remember those days well, and and what Rob did, uh, getting his card there at the finals of tour school. You know, only five spots. Uh, that, that's that's hard. Uh, our tour, the Champions Tour, is a very hard tour to to get on if you didn't have a great PGA Tour career. 
if you did, luckily I had a, a really good PGA Tour career, so I'm fine. But for so many guys uh, that are great players, it's, it's hard to get out there. Yeah, and one of the other interesting aspects of the Club Corp Classic is this: the idea that Club Corp members can compete uh, for for a certain number of spots in the field. So you're going to have some some of those underdogs that have grinded it out, uh, just regular weekend, uh, you know, golfers that are going to be in that field. There's you know multiple competitions happening at the same time. Uh, how do you, what do you think of that? Yeah, th there is a lot going on. I know, right? Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, there's, there's going to be all kinds of stuff with the, with the, you know, champions tour event going on and then the celebrities and the pro-am event and the club corp, uh, stuff going on. So, uh, it, it's, you know, we've, we've really never had an event like this, uh, that I can remember in, in Tampa, we had kind of a celebrity thing, but it was just basically one celebrity and two ams and, and, you know, there really wasn't that much going on. So, uh, this, this is going to be a great event. I think, uh, I think we're going to get some really, really big crowds. Uh, you know, we always got amazing crowds at uh, TPC of the Las Colinas when we played the Byron Nelson there. And uh, I, I would like to thank a lot of those people that watched us in the 80s and 90s there uh, know all of our names, you know. Uh, so I think the, I think we're going to get a, a, an amazing crowd there, and it's going to be exciting. So, Mark, I can definitely tell you that uh, that that uh, the uh... – Amateurs that are club core members are, that's the top question that I get. So I know there's a lot of them that are excited to be able to get out there, play with the, the professionals and the celebrity, celebrities that are going to be there. So excited that this uh, kind of new new opportunity exists here. So um, just from, from my perspective and, you know, my job bringing uh, various events to Dallas, uh, it's always interesting to me, the people who have played here before or uh, played in different events. Uh, what is your fondest memory uh, of the DFW area? Oh, I have a ton of them. Uh, I've got a couple of good friends that, that live in North Dallas. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again. Uh, and one of them is a, an amazing guitar player. And it's just fun to sit, sit and watch him play guitar. Uh, I'm, I'm a big music lover. That's kind of my... You know, every, every golfer wants to be a rock star, and every rock star wants to be a golfer. It's kind of funny. Uh, so, uh, but, but great memories in Dallas. Uh, again, the Four Seasons and uh, so many good restaurants in the area. Uh, and and the, the, the mall over there in, in North Dallas is, is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I've been all over the place. I've uh, been downtown Dallas, seen a lot of sporting events there, the Mavericks and, uh, and baseball and, and, and whatnot. So. Uh, or hockey, rather, it's been uh, it's been awesome, uh, and I think we're going to have a, an amazing field that week. Uh, so, it, like I said, it's going to be awesome. All right, Mark. Well, really, Mark, appreciate uh, we really uh, thank you for joining us uh, on the mic drop. Stella uh, says uh, hello. By the way, uh, evidently she wants to talk to you a little bit more. I know my. Um, my doggies are scratching on the door. They want in. They want to know what the heck I'm doing in here. <laughs> I tried that. It wasn't working. So, Sully, I'm going to turn this over to you for one sec. Yeah, Mark, thanks so much for, for, for joining us. And everybody, follow him on Twitter. He's a fun follow at, at Mark Kalk. And go to DallasClubCorp.com for more information on how you can uh, take part in the fan activities and then go out and watch uh, the competition, including uh, the celebrities. So, 
So all the best to you, Mark. We hope to see you out there in April. Thanks, bud. And follow at Brenda Kelp too. She actually gives me most of my funny material. So she's even funnier than me, my wife. Yeah, and she does a little, <laughs> little business on, 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 uh, online too. So you can do Be some sure. shopping through, through Brenda too. That's so, right. Sure does. All right. So, so thanks a lot, Calc, and uh, good luck to you. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sully, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than 2,000 animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Welcome to the mic drop to Scott Sanju. Now, this one is personal for me. I've known Scott almost his entire life. Uh, because his dad is Norm Sanju, who was the founding general manager and the, and the person who, without his uh, push in 1978, 79, 80, there would be no Dallas Mavericks, at least not as we know them. And certainly there wouldn't have been in 1980. Um, so more on that in a moment. But Scott is also an accomplished sports executive in his own right. He's the president of Neltech Sports, a growing company that owns, develops, and oper operates various sports and entertainment properties. He's also serving as the president of the Dallas Jackals, an expansion team of Major League Rugby co-owned by Neltex and the Texas Rangers. The charter season opener is February 5th in Austin. Home opener, February 19th versus the dreaded Houston Sabercats at Choctaw Stadium. That's formerly known as Globe Life Park. Uh, Scott's a creative executive and did a really creative partnership with the China Baseball Association back in 2018 that in effect made the Chinese national baseball team the roster of the Texas Air Hogs, one of the independent league teams. It's the first time a national team uh, had become a, uh, had played a season as part of a pro league, any pro league in the U.S. Of course, prior to Neltex, uh, Scott really became famous as the president, GM, and co-owner of the Frisco Rough Riders, the AA Rangers affiliate. Year after year after year, one of the most successful operations in minor league baseball during Scott's tenure, the Rough Riders led all 30 AA teams in attendance for 11 consecutive seasons. That is not a typo. Led all AA in attendance for 11 consecutive seasons. So, Scott, it's a real, real treat to have you on the mic drop. Thanks for some time today. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. And, and uh, that certainly made me sound better than I really think uh, I should sound. But uh, thank you for uh, the bio, and it's great to be with you all. Yeah, it's good to have you. So, so tell us about the, the preparation underway. I'm having flashbacks to the summer of 1980 with our preparation for the Mavericks uh, first, first game uh, that was ever played. What are you, where are you in the preparation stage? And, and you know, just kind of give us the, the one-on-one on, on, on Dallas Jackals rugby. Sure. Well, I tell you, it's, it's been a, um, what seems to have been kind of a nonstop series of uh, events and challenges and uh, opportunities as we lead up to our inaugural season, there's so much work to put together a new business in a regular business climate. It's even more tricky when you're talking about uh, the COVID environment that we've had uh, for quite an extended period of time. Uh, nonetheless, things have really come together greatly for what's now gonna be the Dallas Jackals. We have a wonderful young staff really working hard to bring uh, the Jackals to reality. And it's fun to see now light at the end of the tunnel. As you mentioned, our first home game, February 19th at Choctaw Stadium, and so it'll be fun to see our efforts uh, kind of pay off as we bring professional rugby here to North Texas. You know how to sell. I mentioned, you know, 
attendance records, or, you know, leading attendance in all double A for 11 years in a row. Who is the target fan as you begin to market the Dallas Jackals and, and sell tickets? Sure, let me break it into a, a few different categories there. Uh, first of all, of course, we want to serve the local rugby community and have them be on board as much as possible. We want to, uh, we have relationships with all the local rugby uh, ecosystem. We very much want to be of help to them and, and the different things they're doing and then have them be supportive of our team. We have three division one affiliates uh, that our development players play with on the weekends uh, there to help hopefully, hopefully make it to the Dallas Jackets roster. Uh, and so you have the rugby fans. The problem is for any market in the United States today, if the local rugby community is not large enough to be really sustaining for a business, uh, hopefully that'll change in the coming years because we will be converting and growing more fans. So I think the bigger audience for us is what I call the casual fans, folks who they don't realize they're rugby fans yet. You know, they'd be open to coming out to a match. They don't know much about the sport, but they'll check it out. And when they come out, then we want to make sure they have an incredible experience. They really see kind of something unique about the flavor of rugby and what that game presentation looks like, the camaraderie that's uh, there, and the great respect and tradition that's within the, within the sport. And I think as we get folks out, as we get that trial, I think we'll get more and more folks in. Another category would be then uh, the, the big group outings, and it's a very low barrier to entry and get these folks to come out as part of a group, whether it's an office outing, a church outing, a, a youth group, little league, all these different types of affinity groups. And that we're very aggressive and trying to line those up to come out and have a great experience at a Jackals match. And I think that as folks experience that, then hopefully they'll come back with the single game buyers or as uh, maybe a company buys tickets or season tickets. And so I think it's going to be uh, you know, certainly a heavy lift that's ahead of us in the coming years as we build the brand of rugby. But really part of our strategy long-term, Kevin, is looking at uh, how do we increase participation in sport and exposure at younger ages. And uh, let me give you a quick example of how we're trying to do that. So we have a turnkey PE program for local schools where we provide the equipment, the training, and the module that traces back to the Texas educational standards as far as things that need to be uh, uh, met there for uh, passing muster for using in school. And we make it so easy for the schools then to participate in, in elementary school and middle school for kids to have these PE modules that will support those bring players by or coaches by mascot and stuff at the, at the culmination of the, uh, the module. And so we want to get thousands and thousands and thousands of kids to learn about the sport of rugby at a young age. And it, we find with the camps and clinics we did this last summer, as kids discover the sport and get into it and play it, uh, it's really a fun sport, not just to watch, but to play. I think for the future of the sport from a spectator standpoint is we have to increase the participation in the sport. Uh, and this is not something that happens overnight. This is something over you know, a 10 year period. Now, having worked for your dad for 16 years, I know that customer service is gonna be incredible uh, at Dallas Jackals games. At Reunion Arena during the Norm Sanju era, if someone spilled a Coke, there were four people there with towels and a mop within you know, 10 seconds. It was like a strike force, but people always felt welcome. And, and no matter how good or how bad the team was, given depending on the year, uh, there was great halftime entertainment. Your dad always made it a high priority just to make people feel welcomed, uh, cared for and, and entertained and to control the things you can control you know, off the court in the Mavericks case. So what will the fan experience be like at Choctaw Stadium uh, for Jackals matches? Sure, we certainly want to make it a top-notch fan experience. What's great is, is the Texas Rangers are partners, and once you actually manage that facility, 
uh, certainly have that same uh, mentality. And so we want to make sure from where people park until they are back in their cars, the whole experience is part of that game presentation, that game entertainment. And we want to do exactly what you just said, Kevin. It's control what you can't control. Don't worry about what you can't control. We can't control the weather. We can't control how the team plays or some of those things. Uh, but we can control the cleanliness facility, the customer service, the sites, the sounds, the video drops, the food service, all those little components that really make it a great experience. We want people when they leave a match, they have smiles on their faces, whether or not we win or lose. We'd like to win and certainly we'll be competitive. We're certainly going to hustle, uh, but we can control all the other aspects and people have a great experience. And it's not dependent on the wins or losses. I learned that in minor league baseball, all my years at the Frisco Rough Riders. If you do everything that you can control correctly, you can be very successful even if the team doesn't always win. And that's exactly the focus we want to do is make sure that we really excel at that customer service. One thing too, Kevin, I'll mention uh, worldwide with rugby, uh, the game presentation is much more um, about the game itself. And, and there's not a lot of sights and sounds and video and music and those things going on. Uh, in the United States, the consumer is so much used to uh, much more activity and uh, noise and sound and entertainment in their uh, sporting events. And so we're going to kind of Americanize the game presentation uh, a bit here. We don't want to turn off or alienate the rugby purists. As I mentioned, there's not enough rugby purists to fill a stadium. And so we want to, I think they'll kind of understand, hey, we're trying to broaden the appeal. We want to get as many folks as possible to experience rugby and have a great experience. And so we are going to add to that uh, the things you might typically see at a lot of sporting events here in the U.S. and how we use the video board and, and music and pre and post-game stuff and halftime and all those things to really make it just a, a wonderful uh, experience. It's not just the rugby, but the rugby is certainly the centerpiece of that. So, Scott, um, how have you built your uh, team? Is there a star player? We all know that fans, you know, like to, to look out and cheer for a star player. Is there a team leader? What should our fans look for? Sure. There's, um, you know, rugby, uh, the big name rugby players uh, there within the rugby communities would be known, but for the rank and file fans, of course, across the United States are not going to know these names uh, uh, per se. And uh, what's been fun, though, uh, from a rugby perspective is that you have a lot of players who are still uh, players towards the top of their game, international players who want that American experience who are coming to play uh, in this league. And uh, some of them are ones who uh, maybe are, are winding down the careers uh, there, but uh, because we are, are a emerging market for uh, rugby, a, a newer market, uh, the quality of play here is such that they can do very well here and still be stars uh, in this league and have that American experience. And so, and, and they bring so much more to the development of American players when you have these international players. Uh, of the 23 players you dress on a game day, 15 are playing at a time. 10 of those are allowed to be internationals per our league rules. And so all the teams will have, you know, 10 internationals. Uh, and it's fun because of the colorful personalities you're getting as well. You're getting folks from uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia, South Africa, uh, Great Britain, all the former British colonies, essentially, uh, where rugby is so popular. And uh, we have uh, some of these, uh, like uh, Chris Pinnell is one of our players who uh, uh, is a very well-respected international player. And he's coming in as a senior player here, helping uh, essentially on some of the coaching duties as well, but then certainly full-time as a player for us. And uh, the players, American players, really look up to folks like him, Henry Trinder. We have a bunch of others. Interesting, interesting human interest stories. Uh, and some of our players, um, as they're chasing this dream, one of our American players is actually a chiropractor who's putting his practice on hold so that he can uh, play professional rugby. 
So I, I think that uh, fans will really appreciate how accessible these players are and the types of personalities that, uh, that come with this game. So you've got a great logo, very unique colors. Uh, how can our fans learn more, watch, follow the Jackals, learn more in general about the game of rugby? So we can get them in the seats and uh, get you a yeah, fan base going. For sure. You know, thanks for uh, for the question. You know, one of the great resources uh, we have is, is DallasJackals.com, our website. And then folks can really sign up on our social media and we're all the major platforms there. And we're pretty good at updating and putting out uh, great content uh, with that. On our website, there's a, uh, a Rugby 101 uh, sec page. If you go there, you can read a little bit of history of rugby and it gives a little bit of explanation, but then there's a link to a video there. This is a five minute video of Rugby 101. And it's amazing how much more you enjoy watching a rugby match after you have a basic understanding of the rules. <laughs> it makes a big difference. And so uh, we send that video to a lot of folks there. And that's part of our game presentation too, is we'll do a lot of uh, rugby education uh, as things are happening. So people can kind of, uh, any given game, we expect to be a lot of folks their first time exposure to rugby. And so pre-game, we do some rugby one-on-one things. During the game itself, there'll be graphics that go on the video board sometimes explaining something that's happening in the game right now or definitions of stuff. In our game program, we have a lot more information uh, there uh, as well. And uh, let me mention one thing too, uh, Monica, that I think folks will really enjoy when they learn more about the sport of rugby. We found in our focus groups that this is something that, that very much resonated with people. One of the great traditions of rugby all over the world is that post-match, the opposing teams, the players, and the refs get together for, for drinks and dinner. Uh, and so they bring the sport transcends rivalry, it transcends culture, transcends politics, religion. It brings folks together. The sport is kind of bigger than that. Rugby's been able to maintain that. Uh, a lot of uh, sports in this country over the last number of years have gotten so politicized, and it hasn't happened with rugby. Rugby kind of transcends that still and brings people together. And boy, we need things that can bring folks together. I think rugby is everything that's right with sports right now uh, in this world. And I think that as people discover some of that type of respect and camaraderie, uh, and our league does that as well. Uh, and we invite our ticket holders to come be part of that post-game celebration. And so uh, that's something that's unique. Another quick tradition in rugby that people like is you're not allowed to argue with the refs. And they have to be referred to as sir. If you have a question, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, or it's a penalty. That's refreshing. Uh, there's just a lot of whining in sports and that gets tiresome to a lot of folks. And so there's a refreshing aspect of, on that sportsmanship mm -hmm. And these are some of the fun stories that we get to tell. I think that rugby is a great story to tell. We don't have a lot of resources to tell it, though. So the more we can get the word out, uh, the more I think that's really going to pay off. Well, Scott, you really went into my next question, or at least topic, that uh, I'm sure you know what's coming next is more on the uh, Rugby World Cup uh, you know, opportunity for here in the United States for 2027, 2031. Many cities are in the are in the hunt for that as USA tries to secure one of those uh, years. And, you know, one of the, in the discussions that we've had with the U.S. rugby and world rugby is really the, the focus on developing the sport in the youth, the grassroots uh, area of introducing the sport, get more people playing the sport and, and that sort of thing. So wanted to hear maybe some of your thoughts there in terms of the development of rugby in our, our North Texas region, but then also maybe your, your thoughts on, uh, you know, how, how successful can we be in securing a Rugby World Cup for hopefully, in my eyes, 2031? Sure. Yeah, I, I tell you, I'm so excited that uh, the bids for the Rugby World Cup 
in that deal. A lot of folks don't realize because rugby is not as well known in the United States, it's played in 120 countries. It's a very popular sport around the world. And uh, the, the World Cup does very, very well. And so that's going to be a huge thing for, um, for our country and for our league when the World Cup, when we do get that, which I agree, hopefully it'll be 2031, uh, uh, will be a perfect time for uh, the U.S. To, to host that. Uh, we're hoping that it can do for kind of um, our league, by then it should be more established, but it'll help give it an additional lift and exposure to bring a whole bunch of new fans in because of the exposure that that event is going to have. Uh, they're similar to what happened in 1990s with the World Cup there with uh, then the launch of Major League Soccer um, uh, there uh, two years later. Uh, I think that um, uh, World Rugby uh, knows this and USA Rugby knows this, that the importance um, for the growth of, of youth rugby and getting folks um, building a much larger robust ecosystem in this country, how important that's going to be for the sport. What's happening is this, worldwide in the rugby community, everyone's looking to the United States as, as the last frontier, as the great future of what the sport can be. And so they're all rooting for things to go very, very well in the US. They're all rooting for Major League Rugby to be a huge success uh, because as, as that goes, that's gonna help raise around the world uh, the success of rugby. So everyone's very with keen interest looking to see how rugby goes here. All of our teams have a lot of initiatives locally um, working with developing more youth rugby, working with Parks and Recs programs, working with uh, developing their own leagues, working with the current amateur and youth clubs that are uh, in their markets, getting more and more kids involved uh, with the sport. And what we find is this, uh, with, when parents find out about rugby that has this, some of the physicality of football that their kids might enjoy playing, but a fraction of the concussions, uh, that seems to really resonate with folks. People don't realize that and think, well, well you're not wearing pads uh, or helmets, and that's exactly why, because you're not wearing pads or helmets. You don't lead with your head when you're tackling. They're very uh, strict on uh, tackling technique, and you can't uh, leave your feet to launch at somebody, and there's not forward passing in sports. So you don't have some of those types of collisions. There certainly can be some injuries, don't get me wrong, but you don't have the concussive injuries as much as you would have in football uh, or soccer, for that matter. And so when they find out it's safer, that seems to be something that uh, really appeals to uh, a lot of folks. You know, it's been said that rugby is the most uh, complete team sport. What I mean by that is this, you have your 15 players playing each side. Every one of them has to be able to run, tackle, throw, and catch. Uh, that's a basic skill that everyone has to have because you're playing offense and defense and you're catching the ball and you're passing the ball and everyone has to be able to tackle. And so it's, it's a very much a complete team sport uh, uh, component there and it has just a unique um, uh, camaraderie that comes with that, that folks, once they kind of discover rugby, it's kind of like the part of this uh, larger fraternity, if you will, uh, it becomes a lifestyle and that you see a lot of these uh, amateur clubs, a lot of folks who are uh, at ages that I would not think I would be wanting to play rugby at, and they do, uh, they're still really very much into this uh, because they love the lifestyle because it's, it's the relationship in the community that is formed uh, around this. Well, Scott, with your leadership, I don't have any doubt that this is the Jackals will be successful. You've got great leadership with Commissioner George Killebrew, who we've had on the on the show. But I want to finish with a question about your dad, who is without question among the finest leaders that I've ever been around. He gave me my big break 41 or 42 years ago almost, which is stunning to think about. I know he's dealing with some health challenges now in, in his in his retirements. Our our prayers are with him uh, during during while he's dealing with uh, with some health challenges. 
But what of all the things, and I mentioned quality, you know, customer service, which was one of the things your dad is really known for, but just from a leadership standpoint, what is a lesson? Uh, and I shouldn't leave your mom out of this either, Carol, who's, who's also a, just a phenomenal person and leader. What, what have you taken from your dad and from your parents as a leadership lesson that serves you well to this day, including with the challenges that you have uh, to introduce professional rugby to, to Dallas-Fort Worth? Corey, I tell you, um, thank you for the kind words about my father, and he's had such an impact on so many people, uh, and uh, yourself included, and certainly myself, and just blessed to have the parents that, uh, that I had uh, had growing up and have uh, today. Uh, there, and there's so much you learn um, uh, as you grow up and as a young professional and whatnot, and it's funny, I find myself just uh, quoting my father so often in so many of his uh, expressions and things that uh, he, he repeats that you know a lot of them I'm sure as well like you can't put toothpaste back in the tube and all these other ones uh, there that uh, the importance of uh, uh, the importance of, of people I think is something that I've really taken away from him uh, being consistent with how you treat people and it's people that matter uh, there and, and so it's all about really caring for people taking care of folks um, treating them with, uh, with dignity and respect uh, and being consistent with those things I think so important. You know, character is really also, uh, it's revealed under those hard times. It's revealed when, um, when nobody's looking as well uh, to see how, you, how do you respond in certain situations and certain things. Uh, you know, it's your, what's your integrity really, uh, really like? Uh, but having a mindset of how do you serve others uh, there, including your colleagues, uh, your league, your fans, your sponsors, and those things, you really think not just what's in it for, for you, what's in it for your the goals, uh, but what's um, what's how do you serve all these other uh, folks? You know, one of the uh, quotes of leadership that my dad uses is, uh, you know, it, it's getting folks um, to do that which they don't necessarily want to do to get them where they want to get. You know, it's kind of paraphrasing almost. It's a Tom Landry quote that I'm kind of paraphrasing that my dad would use uh, a lot. And that's so much of leadership is sharing that vision and you're getting folks to really pay the price and, and put in the effort and really be part of things. Uh, to get where we ultimately want to get, you know, they're really launching a worthwhile endeavor, building a championship team and having an impact in the community and uh, those different uh, components. And so um, something that uh, you took, took away from my father, uh, I think it's very important, is you don't want to lose sight as you build a business and as you professionally pour into the things you do, uh, that there's things more important to that, that, uh, you know, my faith in God and my love and service of my family would be priorities that would transcend uh, what I do professionally, as important as what I do professionally is. And it's important to not lose track of your priorities uh, with things. And if you don't define your priorities, uh, the world will define them for you pretty quick and the pressures of life will uh, get to you. So it's important to be grounded in those things and really remember to keep those priorities the priority. Well, well said. And I really, all of us are pulling for you, Scott, with the Dallas Jackals. Our listeners ought to go to dallasjackals.com. The season starts February 5th, first home game February 19th. I'm just declaring that the Houston Sabercats are dreaded, arch rivals. Austin will be too, but, but let, let's take on Houston. Let's take them down on February 19th at Choctaw Stadium. And Scott Sanju, thanks again for, for joining us and all of that. You're best. very welcome. And just a quick little, our little rally towel here. And uh, thanks so much for letting me be part of the podcast. Thank you for your support of the Dallas Jackals. Hope to see you all at a Jackals, at more, multiple Jackals matches in our inaugural season. Come support the Jackals. Sounds good. Thanks again, Scott. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. 
The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. Thanks, Rach. And now back for a second visit to the mic drop is Saad Youssef, the Dallas Stars beat reporter for The Athletic. He's also got a gig at the ticket where he's sort of like the Isaiah Kiner Falefa of the station, does a little bit of everything and does it well. Uh, a UNT grad, a former Creekview High Mustang. We thoroughly enjoyed our conversation last June, way back on episode 17. Welcome back, Saad. Thanks, guys. Uh, happy to be here. What episode are we up to now? 47. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, we're cool. moving along. So let's get right to it with the stars. If the playoffs started today, they would be in the uh, second and final wildcard spot in eighth place. Uh, I guess that would put them on a collision course in the first round with Colorado. We don't necessarily want to see that, but the team is heading in the right direction, sweeping the, the recent road trip. So give us your assessment, kind of the state of the team, uh, where we are right now with the stars. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it can be kind of difficult to judge the stars because they're they're they've been so hot and cold, it, you know, Jekyll and Hyde all season long. It, it's, uh, you know, sometimes they're they have really big road struggles. And then now, like you said, they just swept a four and road trip. Now, you know, with the caveat that all four teams that they played were pretty bad teams. So it's, uh, you know, but you can only play who's on your schedule. So uh, the stars did uh, take care of business. But I would say right now they they've kind of shown potential. They've shown the bits and pieces to be a good team that can actually make some noise in the playoffs. They've just haven't really put it together at any point this season. They there's been games where the offense has been really good. There's been games where the goaltending has been really good. Um, they've struggled to win on the road. They've swept teams on the road. They've done it all inconsistently. They just really have to find a way to really put it together. Um, and I think this upcoming stretch is going to really be uh, really significant for them. Their next six games um, are all home games, but four of the six games are against teams that are in the playoff picture right now. So, you know, they're going to play good teams. The other two are teams that are right on their tail to get in the playoffs. And then, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, if the playoffs started today, they would play the Colorado Avalanche. Well, two of the next seven games are against the Colorado Avalanche. So they're about to get a good measuring stick of just where they measure up to this playoff competition. How does the John Klingberg situation get resolved? Do you, do you believe? It's tough. I, I you know, it, it, and it's tough to answer that question in late January because of the trade deadline being in late March, because so much depends on if the stars are contenders or not. Right. Because if the stars are contenders, uh, just given the window that they're in, Joe Pavelski is 37 years old, Alexander Radulov's older, Rick Bonus is in the final year of his contract. This is such a championship window season that if they're in contention for a playoff spot and look legitimate in terms of making a playoff run, you keep John Klingberg you, because things are going well. And then even if you lose him for nothing at the end of the, after the season's over, you kind of take that risk to make one last run at the cup with this core. But if you're kind of drifting out of the playoff picture, John, John Klingberg on the trade market right now would be a top three player in the NHL in terms of what you can get back for him. And so if he's someone who you, you don't think that is going to play a big factor into your destiny this season and the postseason, then I think you absolutely have to move him. And, you know, if you're asking for where I think, you know, they stand, the, the two sides haven't been on the greatest 
terms recently. They, you know, they haven't been talking a lot about a contract extension. I would probably give it a 60, 65% chance that he does get traded. Uh, but I still think there's a good chance that he doesn't. So I think if, if my info is right, your employer, the athletic has been purchased by the New York times. How do you feel about that? Is, uh, you know, what, what's, what's next there? Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of surreal. It just kind of hit us all, uh, kind of, I don't want to say out of nowhere, we had heard some of the rumors just over the last year or so, but, um, as a 27 year old, like it's kind of surreal and exciting. Like, I mean, I'm working for the New York times, which is, you know, like I I'm, I'm still working for the athletic. They, they, you know, they've maintained that like nothing is really changing, but at the same time, like New York times is one of the biggest pub media publications in the world. And to just be under that umbrella uh, is, is really an honor. And it's kind of cool. I, you know, now, nowadays when I introduce myself to, to new people, sometimes I jokingly do say that, oh yeah, you know, I'm a writer for the New York times, but it's mostly exciting. Um, and the good thing is that the New York Times has shown like a lot of interest in helping us grow. It's not one of those things where they just kind of buy the company out and then and then kind of stash us. Um, so they've shown interest in us growing. And I do think The Athletic brings something unique that not really any other company in the world really can, which is local great coverage for a wide spectrum of sports. All right, Sad. So you know what you know what this uh, section of the podcast is all about. It's when we ask what you're streaming, what you're downloading. When you were here last time, you got our audience going on the Office Ladies podcast, uh, <laughs> which of course is very entertaining. And and the OJ Simpson documentary was on your list at that time. So what do you have yeah. for us? Book, podcast, movie, TV, music could be anything. What are you up to these days? Wow, I didn't even remember that that's what I threw out last time, but it's going to be along the same lines. I'm a big TV show guy. So uh, so this time, though, I got hooked on Ted Lasso. Um, just absolutely love the show, love the underlying themes. It's a it's a sports show, but not really. It's a it's a comedy and it has so much so many layers to it. Mental health is just a really big theme throughout the show, especially season two when they bring in a psychologist to be a main character in the show. So, you know, I've been listening to this podcast and Ted Lasso podcast, Richmond till we die. Richmond is, you know, the team that Ted Lasso is coaching uh, for those unaware of the, of, of the TV show. But, um, but it's just fascinating because like I said, I, you, you know, like the office podcast I was listening to, for example, like the thing I really enjoy doing is like, I love watching TV shows once or twice just for the pure entertainment. And then I love kind of like digging into things that probably the writers didn't even think about, but I just kind of like noticed and things like that. So um, just the different egos that are involved with Ted Lasso, um, with the TV show, um, the dynamic of how he kind of coaches his team. He's a guy who doesn't even know what soccer is um, and goes overseas. He's been a football coach here in America, goes to England and he's coaching soccer um, and just so many different elements in play. Like I said, the mental health one is just one that really is big for me, but there's, uh, but there's a whole element of the presence of a father um, because his father, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, but because the TV show is still kind of new, but there's different, there's different parallels with him and the players that he's coaching um, in terms of their situation, but the circumstances around those situations were different and how they kind of came about 
So a lot of the, this podcast really dissects a lot of those things. And I love, I love doing that. And I love listening to that stuff. And, and honestly, the biggest thing that I love doing with all this is just, it helps you kind of reflect on your own life and your own surroundings. And I think we can all do a lot of that and uh, helps, helps us all grow in compassion uh, as we do that. Monica, what's on your list these days? Well, I'm total opposite direction here. It's <laughs> Ozark is back. So uh, that's, wow. <laughs> uh, that's what's on, uh, on my uh, watch list. I, I, I'm not, I've only made it through the first episode of the, the latest season that's out. So I've got a long way to go, but uh, uh, it feels like it hasn't been on for years. And maybe that is the case with COVID, but I'm like, gosh, I need to go watch last season uh, to get caught up. But uh if episode one, any uh, indication, it's going to be a good season. Monica, I'm going to hop in right here because I, the last three weeks, I rewatched the the whole the whole series already. And yesterday, I'm I'm watching an episode about to go to class. And today at lunch, I clicked to see if I had uh, what episode was next, and I accidentally finished the whole last season so now i have to wait a very long time to uh to get to get ozark back but it's definitely worth the wait marcus don't spoil it for me marcus don't spoil it for me and marcus if you watched all of ozark in that compressed amount of time you have plunged yourself into some serious darkness uh i i watched it too i i'm i'm through episodes uh i've finished the first two episodes and a few weeks ago, when I talked about my immersion in Yellowstone and succession, I balanced it out by watching The Chosen, which gave me something uplifting and positive. And I would say the same thing with Ozark. I'm, I'm a big This Is Us fan. My wife, Joe, and I have watched it from the beginning. We're now in the final chapter, getting down toward the end. So I'm sort of doing that. So I don't take that full you know, plunge into uh, you know, the depths of darkness that goes, Ozark can be a pretty, a pretty dark show, although it's very well done and, and uh, love Jason Bateman. And it's a, it's a uh, terrific show. Have you, you watched, uh, you watch Ozark, Saad? Um, I, I, my sister does. So I've seen it, I've seen it in passing. Um, I, I have a, I have a weird uh, thing where I only watch new TV shows from, from June, from mid June to early August. So that's usually when I have to catch all the TV shows, because other than that, um, I'm usually watching the NFL, the NBA, or the NHL. So from whenever it's not any of those seasons, it's kind of when I dive into TV shows. So um, my sister has mentioned Ozark, and, and that's the one that I definitely plan on getting on. So yeah. it, it's a good one. Well, Sad, thank you for coming back. You, you never know. You might become our first three-time guest. <laughs> you, you know, Mike Reiner and Mark Followell, it's an exclusive club. Uh, oh, wow. Guests. You're now in that, uh, in that group. Uh, hey, so, we're all uh, ticket guys, right? So, I mean, you got you got two day ones from Reiner and Followell, and then now you got the new generation. So there you go. The kind of falefa of the ticket. <laughs> we, we love it. So thanks for, yeah. for joining us. And we're going to follow your, uh, you know, we'll see how your predictions about the Klingberg situation <laughs> and, the, and the stars the uh, rest of the season uh, go. Uh, so on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks for our, to our guests. Mark Kalkovecchia, Scott Sanju, and Saad Youssef. Thanks to the Mic Drop production team, Daniel Whitelaw-Piscura, Angela Lang, Marcus Carr and Reeves Eddins of Tony Fay PR, Mike and Jay at Vocal Media, and our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.